you have your Bible with you, would you take it out, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and we'll read from verse 13 and 14 here in just a moment. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Uh, Thank you for being here, especially those who are visiting. We're grateful that you've chosen to be here this morning. Uh, We pray that the things that we've done have been pleasing to God, uh, but also an encouragement to each of us who have gathered here to worship in His name. Uh, Just so that we can get to, get, get to know each other a little bit better. Raise, raise your hand if you are a native English speaker, that English is your first language. That's most of us in here. And if you're looking for something to be thankful for in your prayers tonight, that's something you can be thankful for because English is a notoriously difficult language to learn. And one of the reasons for that is because in English we have so many homophones, that is, words that sound the same, but they have different meanings, and usually they have different spellings to go along with it, like flower and flower. Now, maybe that's not that big of a deal until you start putting cups of flowers in the cake recipe or you bring flour to your wife on Valentine's Day. And English has dozens and dozens and dozens of these homophones where they sound the same, but they have different meanings. Creek is a noise, while a creek is a small stream of water. Sight refers to a location, but it also can refer to our vision. Hole refers to an opening in something. Whole means complete or total. Even how we say it can make a difference. Insight means to rile up, while insight refers to the ability to see the inner nature of something or someone. Uh, It's especially difficult, I think, because we have so many accents in English, and sometimes these words only sound the same in certain accents. Uh, My dad grew up in uh, Lindale, which is north of here a couple of hours, the East Texas accent, and he has a pretty deep accent. And so that thing that goes, uh, you have four of them on your car, it's a tire. But that tall thing where we get cell phone reception, for my dad, that is also a cell phone tire, right? So it's a tire and a tire. Uh, Well, that's difficult, right? Um, We think about... We think about other examples of this. I think it's even worse if you don't know that there's another word that is pronounced the same. And sometimes there are some some funny things that come about because we don't know that. For me, as a kid, I didn't know the difference between straight and straight. And I only figured this out when it came time to study. I think I was maybe in the fourth grade, fifth grade. We studied exploration of the world and we got to the Strait of Magellan. And I just assumed, knowing what straight meant, that this would be a direct, straight waterway from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. And isn't it great that Magellan found this straight waterway from one side to the other? And so imagine my surprise when I saw this in my textbook. Well, that is anything but straight, right? Instead, it's this other kind of straight. It's a straight meaning it is something that is narrow. It is something that is confined. It is something that is close. 
And it was only after expressing my confusion to my teacher that I learned that this other word, straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, means narrow or confined. And at this point you're saying, what in the world does this have to do with the Bible? Well, I, I don't use the, new, the uh, Old King James a lot anymore. I think there are some instances where the Old King James is actually very helpful to us in our Bible study because of the these and thous and yees and so forth that, that tell us plural and, uh, and singular with some of the words that are used. But I think sometimes there is some confusion because people know and hear and remember verses that come from the Old King James that maybe give us the wrong picture and this is one of those instances. If you read from the Old King James in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14, read it here from the screen. We'll read it from your Bible here in just a moment. Read it here from the screen. In the Old King James it says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I feel like my grandfather because he always read from the old King James, right? Well, I think sometimes that gives us the wrong image of what this straight and narrow way is. In fact, there's a saying in English that has just become an idiom for us, and it conflates these two words for the word straight. We say staying on the straight and narrow. You know, my wife is keeping me on the straight and narrow, that sort of idea. Well, when that's written in English, it actually uses the other word for straight. And so I think sometimes we have in our mind, when we think about this straight way of Jesus, we think about that kind of path that is just straight ahead. It doesn't go to the left or the right. It just goes straight in front of us. But that is not really the image that is being used by Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount. The image is not of a direct path with no curves. Instead, it is of a narrow and difficult path versus this broad and easy path. And so, when we think about straight versus straight, it is not this image on your left that we should be thinking about. Instead, it is much more this image on the right that we should be thinking about. Because here is the reality. The way of Jesus is not always straight and easy and well-paved. And it is not always perfectly clear to everyone the way that we should go. It takes some searching. It takes some following of someone who knows where they're going. It takes some effort. It takes some work. In the New King James, I think we see this a little clearer, and you're reading from your translation. Um, probably it is, if it's a modern translation like a New American Standard, English Standard, maybe it reads something like this. This is New King James, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because... Or how narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. And so this one is the one that is straight. And the question is for all of us, which one will we choose? 
And I want to consider for just a few moments this morning choosing the straight and narrow way. Because there are two clear alternatives that are given. And we understand, in fact, we're reminded constantly, I think, in our modern world that not all things are black and white, that most things are shades of gray and so forth. But, but I'm here to remind us that maybe, maybe Jesus is the one who's reminding us that there are some things that are, that are binary, that are black and white. There are only two gates. There are only two ways. There are only two roads. There are only two destinations at the end of those roads. And later, in his conclusion to this Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus is going to go on to give these other contrasts where there are only two of them. There are only two kinds of fruit, as we've been studying about this quarter and will continue to study. There is only good fruit and bad fruit in regard to our spiritual lives. There are only two conditions of relationship with Jesus, as he says in verses 21 through 23. Either he knows us or he doesn't know us. Those are the only two options. There are only two foundations upon which we can build, Jesus says. You're either building on the rock or you're building on the sand. And there are only two reactions to his sermon, for that matter. Either you hear the things that I say and do them, Or you hear the things that I say and they go in one ear and out the other and you do not do them. Only two choices. And that is seen so clearly in this choice between the broad and wide way and the narrow and difficult way. It is up to us to choose. And Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Enter implies that there is a deliberate choice being made here, that you've sought something out, that you're, you're not just following the masses, as, as Keith said, that you're using your will. And if you want the broad way that leads to destruction, all you have to do is quit making decisions, quit listening, quit coming, quit trying, because the wide gate and the broad way is the path of least resistance. It is the path of doing nothing. It is the path frankly, that all of us were already on before we came to Jesus. This was our path. And to get off that path and get on to the narrow path requires a decision from us. Twice in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 14 and verse 12, and Proverbs 16 and verse 25, the wise man says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. But if we want the way that leads to life, well, that's the choice that must be made. And it mirrors the choice that God's people have always had to make. Um, Marking your spot there in Matthew chapter 7, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses is a very old man. (coughs) Pardon me. Moses is a very old man at this point. Uh, He is not going to enter into the promised land. And so he is giving this long speech to the people before they enter in, before Joshua takes over. And he is giving them some choices uh, about 
who they're going to serve and the outcomes of that service. And if you're there in Deuteronomy chapter 30, begin reading with me in verse 11, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 30 in verse 11. For this is the commandment which I command you today. It is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. You can understand this. You can understand the choice I'm about to give you, Moses says. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? For the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes and His judgments, that you might live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you possess. He's saying, I'm giving you one way over here in following the Lord. That is the way that leads to life and good. Verse 17. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. So this is the choice that Moses puts before the people, life and death. Blessing or cursing. And that is the choice that has always had to be made. And Jesus, as He begins His ministry, as He is going through this Sermon on the Mount and laying forth the qualities of His kingdom, at the end of His sermon, just as Moses at the end of His sermon does, Jesus says, I'm laying before you the two options, life and death, blessing and cursing. Only this time... It is not about physical prosperity in an earthly country. It is about spiritual prosperity in a heavenly country. It is not about physical life for a few generations. It is about spiritual life forevermore. And when we choose the narrow and confined way, we choose it. Because it is the way of God. And yes, this way is straight and narrow. In our society today, what's the worst insult that you can give to somebody? I think maybe the worst insult is you you narrow-minded people. You're so narrow-minded. And of course, there is always the danger of being too narrow-minded. In our understanding and application of God's Word, if we bind where God has not bound, if we place burdens which we are unable to bear and undo the working of grace in our lives, uh, as my grandfather used to say, we can try to stand up so straight that we fall over backwards. And yes, that is a danger. It is a danger if we're going to bind and make the path more narrow than what God does. 
But we must equally understand that the way of Christ is fundamentally straight and narrow. It is restrictive and specific. It binds us to a very exact set of requirements. And those requirements are not optional. They are essential if we're going to be who God has called us to be. If we're going to walk the path that He has set before us. Do you like that kind of restriction? I I admit, I am not the kind of person who enjoys that kind of restriction in my life as a general rule. I like improvisation. I like freedom. I I hate being micromanaged. Uh, I remember I had a I had a job a number of years ago where that's exactly the case. Every little thing that I did, I had somebody looking over my shoulder, and I hated it. I hated it. But when our very lives are on the line, those kinds of restrictions become a little bit more palatable to us, don't they? I want, for example, the person who is working on my car to follow some sort of exact set of requirements. I don't want them to be fly-by-night. I don't want them figuring it out as they go along. I want them to follow some requirements. I want people to check and double-check. My uncle, as many of you know, owns a tire shop up up in Lindale. Tires, brakes, alignment, inspection, those sorts of things. And, and he's got a rule for all of his employees that, that when it comes to putting the lug nuts back on the tire, everyone, everyone is checked twice. And it doesn't matter how good you are at the job, doesn't matter how careful you are, it doesn't matter how sure you are that you tightened all of those lug nuts, you get somebody else to come, to come and check you. And that seems like micromanaging, doesn't it? That seems like very restrictive until somebody drives down the road and their tire flies off and now their very life is on the line. In fact, in fact, my uncle has in the past fired someone who lied and said, yeah, somebody else checked it when they didn't actually check it. Because this is important. This could be a matter of life and death. And so, yeah, we have to have restrictions in place to make sure that people live. Now, how much more... If it wasn't a matter of the wheel on my car, what if I were, what if you were, an astronaut, a parachuter, a submariner, where death is much more likely if any mistake is made? I would want the one building my rocket, checking my parachute, or setting the tolerances on my submarine to follow a very exact set of requirements. Just back in June, during the summer the Titan sub uh, imploded. Do you remember that? And I found out after the fact, and doing some reading on that, maybe you found out the same thing, that there were multiple experts warning them months in advance that they were operating outside the narrow parameters of the capabilities of that vessel. And months in advance, they were told, somebody's going to die if you keep doing this. They kept doing it, and people lost their lives because of it. How much more in regard to our spiritual life? If I'm a Christian, how much more do I want to build my life by following a very exact set of requirements revealed by God? Because this is what gives me the best life, yes, but primarily because it saves me for eternal life and it makes spiritual death avoidable. The narrow way is specific. But it is restrictive in that sense. 
It is a way that can be, as the New King James says, it can be difficult, confined, straight and narrow. And being a Christian is not and was never really intended to be the easy way, the natural way in a worldly sense. We choose a specific spiritual path, the path of Jesus. Who's ever gone on a hike? Any, any hikers in here? Of course we have some hikers in here. Uh, we've got some high hands for the hiking. Who has ever gone on a walk? Anybody ever gone on a walk? There's a difference between walking and hiking, right? This, this is walking, and walking's good for your health. There's all con- kinds of good things about this. This is hiking. Now, if you want to get a little more extreme about that, we have, uh, we have those who are runners, right? We've got runners out there, and we have some people who enjoy running on the road, and we have these other people that are called trail runners. And trail running is a lot of fun. Let me tell you, it's a little more dangerous. Uh, Stephanie, in my less wise time of life, I can't remember how many years ago this was, she talked me into running a, a super half marathon trail race. And so it was 15 and a half miles, and it was through all these trails. Uh, it was over there in Huntsville at the state park. And I fell at least, she says, at least three times I fell over the course of that because we'd been practicing on something like this. And when you get on something like this, it's just a little more difficult. And there are going to be times when we stumble and we fall, yes. But that's the path we have to run if we're going to be who God has called us to be. G.K. Chesterton, who could turn a phrase, said, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. All those who truly commit themselves to Jesus see ultimately the blessing that comes from the straight and narrow way. But for many, it is too difficult. And so they never see the reward at the end of the road. The fact is, there are things that we must leave behind in order to enter through this narrow gate, in order to fit on this road. Perhaps it is a friend who had a bad influence who refuses to walk the road with us. Perhaps it is a job that demands more than a Christian can give it. Perhaps it is a habit that, while not sinful, impedes or interferes with our spiritual progress. This is what the Hebrew writer calls laying aside every weight. There are some things that, while not sinful, they are just things that impede us. And sometimes we have to leave them aside in order to fit on the road. Uh, I've, I've got a truck that has a little bit of, of off-road capabilities. I kind of enjoy that, you know, even though most of the places I drive look more like this than like this. But I, I saw something on the news, this is a number of months ago, that uh, somebody had to spend ten grand for a company to go up and get his truck off of this mountain because he went up this trail in his off-road truck and he got up to a place where he couldn't go forward, he couldn't back up, he couldn't turn around, and he had to leave his truck there and go back. Why? Because it was too wide for the road that he was on. Now, it made an impact on me because it was the exact same truck that I have. You know, there's a lesson to be learned there. I'm afraid sometimes we have so much baggage, we have so many things that make us so wide, maybe we can't even fit on the road that is this narrow. And yes, sometimes we have to lay aside every weight, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, 
and, he says, the sin which so easily ensnares us. Because most of all, what we have to leave outside the gate is sin and sinful attitudes. The self-serving, self-guided, self-promoting, selfish mind cannot go down this road. All works of the flesh must be left outside the gate. Only the wide gate can accommodate our sins, and that can be tough sometimes. It is a difficult way. And yet, I want to I remind you of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. And know that these words do not contradict one another, but give us insight into what exactly Jesus meant by the straight and narrow. If you look there in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, perhaps these verses are familiar to you. Jesus invites and says, Come to me. Again, that's a choice. You've got to come. You've got to enter. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Those who have seen and endured the burden of sin seek relief. From that. And Jesus' yoke is easy, His burden is light, in comparison to the burden that we were bearing, which was an, uh, an unbearable burden, the burden of sin and death and Satan. And so when Jesus says, my way is easy, from a physical sense, we shouldn't think in ourselves that it is the easiest way, certainly not all the time. It is the best way, it is the most fulfilling way, but the best sorts of things in life are rarely what is easiest. It is rarely the path of least resistance that, that leads to any great outcome in physical pursuits or in spiritual pursuits. In Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul warns the brethren as he goes through Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And in verse 22, he says to these souls, exhorting them to continue in the faith, you've got to keep down this way, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Maybe we would be better served in our own minds to think about this straight and narrow way, this narrow and difficult way, as more difficult from a physical perspective. Let's, let's acknowledge the obvious, that sometimes being a Christian is more difficult physically than if we were not a Christian. Often... Often from a strictly physical sense, it is inconvenient, it, it can be hard, it can even be something that is extremely difficult to be a Christian. It is more difficult, for example, in the moment, and this is a small thing, but in the moment it is more difficult when the alarm goes off on a Sunday morning to get up and go to services than to hit the snooze, to sleep in, to relax, to get some things done around the house and watch the ball game. Uh, is it okay to acknowledge that? That it is physically more difficult to, to get up and come to services than it is to stay home? It is physically more difficult. 
to find a place to worship when we're on vacation or when we're doing extracurriculars with the kids than to skip that worship or even just to do a devotional with the people we're traveling with. It is physically more difficult. On the other hand, it is more difficult to be committed to Christ all the time as we're supposed to be as Christians than just to show up at services whenever the doors are open. It is physically more difficult to actually have a full commitment than just to serve God in appearances. It is more difficult to find clothes that are cute and modest than to just find clothes that are cute. It is more difficult to find a spouse who loves God more than they love me than to just find a spouse that loves me. It is more difficult in the moment to discipline our children for their good than to give in to their demands for our ease. It is more difficult to be kind than to be popular. It is more difficult to be patient than to be rude. And on and on and on we could go. Often, physically, it is more difficult to live the Christian life. But can I push back? I mean, I said all those things, but can I push back on that for just a second? I think sometimes we oversell that point. Certainly with the lives that we lead. Now, if we were living in, uh, you know, Rome in the first century when Nero was persecuting Christians, maybe we're not overselling the point. But I think in our culture, sometimes we oversell this point especially to our young people. I remember when I was growing up, I heard all the time, you know, you're going to have to give up all these things for Jesus. There are all these things that you're going to have to give up. And there were, certainly, as I was growing up, there were some things that I had to give up in order to be the person that God has called me to be. But, but thinking back and looking back on those things, what are those things really? Are those things the best things in life? Are those the lasting things in life? Are those the things that I look back on with such fondness or I look back on with such regret saying, oh, I wish I'd been able to go to that party. Oh, I wish I'd been able to do that thing that everybody else was doing. I think sometimes we oversell that. And yes, it is difficult in the moment. And we have to leave many things outside the gate. But so many better things are only found if we pass through the doors and go down the path. And I think it's just as important to make that point as it is to say, yeah, you're going to have to give up some things. But what you get is so much greater and so much better than what it is you're having to give up. The straight and narrow constricts sinful men who refuse to repent. And it seems like a punishment. It seems like a difficulty. But if we can change our viewpoint, change our perspective just a little bit to see this path more as Jesus saw it, maybe we can see that what we're gaining is so much greater than what we're giving up. Paul Earnhardt has a little book called Invitation to a Spiritual Revolution. If you haven't read that book, it's on the Sermon on the Mount. Thank me later. Just go, go buy it and read it. Uh, it's an easy read. It's a short book. Uh, it's broken into very manageable chunks. Uh, but he has so many things in there that have been helpful to me in my spiritual life. And he says this about the kingdom's narrow way. Listen carefully. The kingdom's narrow way does not straighten love, does not constrict peace, it does not dry up joy. It does not squeeze out mercy. It does not crush out goodness. It does not strangle hope. 
All these things abound on the narrow road. And how many people in today's world would give up so many of the things that they are saying are important to them in their life if they truly knew and truly saw where love and peace and joy and mercy and goodness and hope were to be found. They're found, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen. They are found on the straight and narrow way. And the only thing that the straight gate, the narrow way, strips from us is those, are those wicked things that poison and destroy us in the long term. Only the, only the people who still love that wickedness will feel pressed in and suffocated by the king's highway. Sin is the thief which has come to steal and kill and destroy But our good shepherd leads us down this straight and narrow path so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Perhaps perhaps there is no better metaphor than the one Jesus uses for how easy this choice can be if we see things from God's perspective. Imagine for just a moment. Stick with me here. Imagine for just a moment. You're walking down a road, other people are there with you, and you see this fork in the road. And in one direction, you see something like this, a big path, wide, broad, easy. Most of the people are going down that path. In fact, almost all of them are. But in between, you see this information booth, and there's somebody there manning the booth. And so you come up to the booth, and you say, hey... Uh, I see these two paths here. I know everybody's going, passing you by. Uh, anybody, else is, anybody else in here the person who talks to the one in the booth? It's not because I want directions. It's not because I want to know the way to go. I just like talking to people, right? And I, I feel like everybody else is going past this person. I feel bad for them. Stephanie's tugging on me saying we don't need to talk to everybody, right? But you stop and you talk to the person in the information booth and you say, what's up with these two paths? What's going on here? And they say to you, well, that one over there, that one over there, that's, an, that's the easy way. It's a nice, easy walk downhill. You're going to have lots of company on that path. And, and so you ask the question that is begging to be asked, well, where does that path lead? And they say, oh, death, you know, certain death, certain gruesome death. And you say, well, what about this other path over here? That doesn't sound so good. What about this other path? And they say, well, that one's tough. That's a tough path. It's steep. You go along this edge of this canyon up here, and and it's difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be hard if you go on that path, and you're not going to have much company. Sometimes you're going to have to do things basically on your own. Very few people take that road. And, And so you ask, yeah, but where does that one lead? And they say, oh, life. You get life and all of the richest blessings that are found in life if you go down that difficult road. I mean, which one do you choose? It's so hard, right? No, it isn't. Not if we see the paths for what they really are and where they really lead. Do you choose the road where you die? but it's broad and easy, or the road where you live that is straight and narrow. Some want their 
cake and eat it too, I guess. But the broad way that leads to life, that, that way doesn't exist. It's not one of the choices. And in this metaphor, in this illustration, if you heard that from this person, I know, I know we would all choose this path, but wouldn't we also start yelling at those other people saying, that's the wrong way! It leads to death! I heard it from this person right here. They know it leads to death! And whether they accept that or not, whether they turn around or not, Shouldn't we warn them? Shouldn't we show them that this is the path that leads to light? That's being salt and light, my friends. To show people the way that leads to life. As we draw our lesson to a close, thinking back to that Strait of Magellan, did you know, this is true even to modern times, because the Strait of Magellan is so narrow, so difficult, you are required to hire a pilot to take you through it. A marine pilot is someone who has specific knowledge of an often dangerous or congested waterway like the Strait of Magellan. And so you hire this person who knows the right way to go to guide your vessel to show you the right way through the strait. And they know all the details such as depth and currents and hazards and they are able to guide you safely through. And isn't that what Jesus is to us? Isn't that what His Word provides? We've not... It's my first time down this way. It's probably your first time too. We get one chance at this life. And so I want someone who knows the way to show me the way. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. And that's exactly what Jesus can do. Our memory verse for this month, John 14 and verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, our Father in heaven, except through me. And so if you're willing, if you're willing to endure a little difficulty, a little constriction, maybe even a little hardship now. This path leads to life. And Jesus is the one who can put you on it so that you might enter in both now and eternally. And if you're subject to the gospel call, even this morning, won't you come and begin that journey? Baptism into Christ is not the end of the journey. It's not the destination. It's the beginning where you enter into the gate. And if you're already a Christian and you realize you've stumbled, you've fallen, like you've fallen, like me on that path as I'm running and Stephanie's way ahead of me, like you have to get back up. And it's tough when you're by yourself, but, but you're not really. Because Christ is with you and all of these people in this room are with you as well. And if we can help you in any way this morning, come now while together we stand and while we sing. Who will follow Jesus standing for the